Well, today our readings have us dealing with marriage and divorce. Just exactly what I've cho- I would have chosen to deal with on week six or seven of this brand new church. Um, but listen, so we're going we're gonna to look at it. I love marriage. Marriage is a wonderful thing. My parents just celebrated 40 years of marriage this last week. Ashley and I have been married for 14 awesome years uh, this, this past summer. Here's the thing about marriage. Yes. My voice is not loud enough? Okay. Can you turn my voice up? Hello, hello. Check, check, check. Check in the mic. All right. Hello. Okay. So, can you hear me now? Great. Okay. So, um, as I was saying, marriage is an awesome thing. Marriage itself is a sacrament. And a sacrament is that thing that conveys God's grace to us. We receive a sacrament every Sunday when we come to communion. We're receiving from Him grace upon grace upon grace. And so when two people are married, they're living inside a sacrament, which is an amazing thing. Because that covenant, that that togetherness conveys God's grace. There's something about being a man and a woman joined in holy matrimony that is a graceful thing. So, it's awesome. Love marriage. But on the other side, there's divorce. And I hate divorce. It's a terrible thing. It it tears families apart. It takes what God has joined and it breaks it in a very fundamental way. Divorce is not God's design for marriage. But as we will see, it is sometimes a horrible but a necessary thing. So, these are difficult and painful issues. And for many people, for people here, it is, uh, divorce has been a very real, a very painful thing in your lives. So I offer these reflections prayerfully and humbly, knowing that I won't be able to say everything that needs to be said. But I do pray that God would use what I say today uh, to bring some measure of healing and grace and hope to all of us, no matter who we are. And if in the midst of this sermon you hate what I'm saying, we've brought um, some rotten tomatoes. They're in the back of the church. You're just welcome to go back there and start hauling them at me, and that's fine. Uh, I'll understand. All right, let's pray. Father, we read in your scriptures that you invented marriage and that you gave it to us as a blessing. We also read in Malachi that you hate divorce because of of its roots in sin and because of the pain and the destruction that it brings to the lives of so many people. Be with us now, we pray. Lord, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts. Help us to know your goodness and your love for us. And use my words this morning, Lord. I offer them to you. Use them to bring your truth, your healing, your grace, In your love, in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's going on in our gospel reading this morning? Well, the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus like they often try to do. And so they come to him, uh, trying to catch him up, and they, they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Divorce was a big deal back then, just like it is today. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And since they've asked about whether it's lawful, since they've asked about the law, Jesus asks them, well, tell me what Moses says. Since it's through Moses that God has given them the law. And they respond that Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce his wife. 
And how does Jesus respond to this? Well, he puts Moses into context, proper context. And then he takes them even further, back to the essence, to the very meaning and purpose of marriage. Look at what Jesus says. He says in verse 5, this is in your service leaflet, that Moses wrote that commandment because of their hardness of heart. In other words, Moses said that a man could write the certificate of dismissal and divorce his wife because of sin. It was sin. See, this, this whole issue of divorce was a question about how to deal with sin. How to deal with the reality that men are going to divorce their wives. That's what Moses was dealing with. This command came as a response to the sinfulness of human beings. It wasn't a description of God's desire for marriage, but a concession to the reality of sin in the human heart. So it might be lawful under Moses' law for a man to divorce his wife, but that doesn't make it right. Does that make sense? It was lawful, but that didn't mean it was right. So then Jesus takes them all the way back, all the way back to the beginning to show them what the essence of marriage truly is. Jesus says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus went all the way back to the beginning, and so we're going to follow him there, and we're going to look at that passage from Genesis because it tells us so much about what marriage is meant to be. So look with me at that reading from Genesis. It's in your service leaflet on page three. Okay? Look at what it says right at the beginning. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Did you know that this is the very first thing that is not good in creation? Did you know that? This is the very first thing. And this whole time, God has been creating the world and he keeps saying that it's good. It's all good. It's good, 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 good. There's seven goods at the beginning of creation. Seven times God says it's good. And that means that it's perfectly good. It couldn't get more good. It's completely good. And then suddenly, it's not good. And what is it that's not good? God says it's not good for humans to be alone. Everything else has been perfectly good, but not this. It's not good for us to be alone. Now this is a powerful thing, because think about it. Where was Adam at this point? I mean, where was this person? Where was this lone human being? How could it be that that this human being would be somehow deficient in paradise? He was in perfect fellowship with God himself. Nothing separating him from total communion with God in the perfect place that was nothing but perfectly good. And yet, in this situation, he was not fulfilled. Somehow, in paradise, he was unhappy. How could there be anything that was not good in a place that was made perfectly good by God. And this is the amazing thing. It's because God made us that way. God made us to need not just God. He made us to need community, other human beings too. And so it's not good for us to be alone. 
And we've, I don't know how many times we've read this passage. How many times do we read this? But we miss some of the most amazing things as we read through. And one of the things that we miss is we miss the humility of God in this. Because think about, think about this. He made us to not need only him, but to need each other as well. That is a, an amazingly humble thing to do. He doesn't need to be the only thing that we need. Isn't that amazing? He does not need to be the only thing that you need. God has made each one of us in such a way that it's not good for us to be alone. We were made for community. We were designed to be and to need each other. It's part of our nature as human beings. It's not good for us to be alone. And so God says, I will make him a helper as his partner or a helper fit for him. Okay, that word helper Do you know what that word refers to in the Old Testament? When God says, I'm gonna make him a helper fit for him? It's not what you think. Because most of the time, it refers to military reinforcements, right? God is gonna make this lone human being a helper for him, and he uses the word that they always use to refer to military reinforcements. He's talking about an army here. Military reinforcements with supplies. For the battle. It's referring uh, to not just somebody that's going to do the laundry, but somebody that's going to provide strength and reinforcement for the life that this man has to live. What if we saw our spouses like that? That they provided that kind of strength and reinforcement? That's what Ashley is for me. She's that strength and that reinforcement. You know who else is called a helper with this very same Hebrew word? It's God. God himself is our helper. The same word that's used here is used for God. So this helper that God makes for man is no second tier creation, no no afterthought, no mere assistant. This is the kind of help that the man cannot live without. He needs this. Okay, and so back to the text. What's the very next thing that God does? The very next thing he does is makes cows and pigeons. Isn't that great? He's like, whoa, Adam, check this out. I just made a cow. What do you think? And Adam's kind of like, yeah, I'm not sure if that's what I was having in mind. But So yeah, I don't know what God was doing at that point. Maybe he was just trying to have fun with the poor guy. But um, I'm going to make you a helper fit for you. Here's a cow. Nope. <laughs> Hey, I'm not sure. It looks good to eat, but I'm not sure I'm going to find that satisfying. He finally makes the woman, though. After after making all the other animals in creation, bringing them to Adam, he makes the woman. And you know what happens right then? Adam breaks into poetry. The man sees the woman, and he breaks into poetry. This is the first time in the Hebrew Bible that we encounter poetry on the lips of a human being. Isn't that stunning? What a great thing is that? The first poetry happens the first time that the first man encounters the first woman. And at last, he says, at last, after making all those animals, yeah, at last, finally, you got it right, God. At last, this is what I've been waiting for my whole life. Like, this is what I was made for. This is who I was made to be with at last. Then he says, this is bone of my bone 
and flesh of my flesh, which is like saying, this woman is not only like me, but this woman, this is me. I found me. In coming to, to, to know this person, I have found out who I am. That's the kind of helper God has given this man. What a beautiful thing. And then we get to that part uh, that Jesus quotes. He quotes this in the gospel reading. He says, therefore, or for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife or is joined to his wife, or in the old King James, cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. So why does a a man leave his father and his mother to cleave to his wife? For this reason, the Bible says. For this reason, Jesus says. And what's the reason? It's the reason found right at the beginning of this passage in Genesis. He leaves his father and mother because it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for human beings to be alone. That's why we have marriage. And that's why we have each other. We have marriage because it's not good for us to be alone. We were made for companionship, not for loneliness. And marriage is the ultimate companionship. And uniquely in marriage, we are given the helper that we need. Eve brings a strength to Adam that Adam needs And Adam brings a strength to Eve that she needs. They are helpers fit for each other, each providing something that the other lacks. That's the essence of marriage. And it's a whole lot more than just companionship and strength and help. I mean, it's it's romance and children and love and family and, and all that stuff too. But this is the main reason that marriage is given in the beginning, because it's not good for human beings to be alone. And that brings us back to our gospel reading. Jesus has been discussing with the Pharisees about divorce and he refers to this passage from Genesis. And then he says, and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate or let no one put asunder. And what Jesus is saying is that divorce is not part of God's design for marriage. Divorce is not the joining of two people, but the separating or the isolating of those two people from each other. They go from being in community to being alone. They reverse the, 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 the direction that, that we're supposed to be going in. We're supposed to be going in the direction of community. Divorce separates that community. It's not good for us to be alone. God gave us marriage so that we wouldn't be alone. So divorce is always outside of God's design for marriage. But there's an even more profound reason why divorce isn't part of the design. And it's this. In Isaiah 62, God is speaking to his people and he says, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Over and over again in Scripture, God is the husband and his people are the bride. But over and over again, his bride is unfaithful to him. This is the more profound reason why divorce is not part of God's design for marriage. This is why God says that he hates divorce. It's because God would never do this to his bride. God would never abandon them that that way. 
The marriage between a man and a woman is meant to be a reflection of God's marriage with his people. And he would never divorce his people. Like Paul says, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us. Nothing can cause God to divorce us. And it's because God longs for his people like a groom longs for his bride. And a groom doesn't ask a woman to marry him unless that woman has captured his heart. Folks, that's how God feels about you. That's how God feels about us. For some reason, God's heart has been captured by his people. But over and over again, it says that his people have committed adultery against him. And how have they committed adultery? How have they done that? By giving their hearts to other gods. By by giving their hearts to, to other things and pursuing worldly riches. By seeking not him, but other things first. And listen, let me, let me just go there for just a second. Because if you say that you love God, but then what you really care about is your career, or you really live for this thing or for that thing, but you say that you love him, but, you're, but you're, your heart's really given over to something else, then you're committing adultery. That's what it means. You're committing adultery. You're being unfaithful to God. And his experience of that unfaithfulness is no less painful than any of you would feel if your spouse were unfaithful to you. And some of you know what that unfaithfulness feels like. You know how painful it is when your spouse is unfaithful. And God says that he feels that same grief, but even to a greater extent, when we are unfaithful to him. And yet he remains faithful to us. Faithful all the way to the cross. Divorce is never part of God's design for marriage. But then there's this question. What about when divorce has happened? What about when divorce is a reality? What do we do then? Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Remember how last week Jesus was telling us that if our hand causes us to sin, we should cut it off? And if our eye causes us to sin, we should gouge it out. Well, this is the same idea. But but in this case, we're not supposed to cut it off or gouge it out. See, divorce is the cutting off or the severing or the separating of that which God has joined together. Your spouse is bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. And how do you get rid of your bone? And how do you get rid of your flesh? The only way to do it is to cut it off. The only way to do it is to amputate. I was with Dr. Andy Wong, an orthopedic surgeon who sometimes worships here at Apostles. And we were on a mission in Uganda and there was this poor young African kid. And he had um, he'd gotten a cut as he was running and uh, uh, an infection had gotten into his leg and had just swollen up to this amazing size. I mean, it just didn't look like a human leg anymore. And uh, the doctors there in Uganda had done all they could do, and the infection was going to kill this boy. The only thing left was to amputate that leg. And Dr. Wong did it. He amputated that boy's leg. The boy lost his leg, but he saved his life. Sometimes that's what divorce is like. 
Divorce is like an amputation. And an amputation is never something that you start life thinking, I hope that happens to me one day. Right? You never want that. It's a dra drastic course of treatment. It's something that uh, the doctor is going to suggest last, not first. It's the last course of action. But the truth about divorce, like amputation, is that divorce is sometimes necessary. And when is it necessary? Let's look back at the text. God allows divorce because of the hardness of our hearts. Divorce is sometimes necessary because of sin, but it's never God's purpose for our marriage. But because of sin, like when sin has caused the marriage to grow sick to the point of death, sometimes the only thing that can be done is amputation. Acknowledging that sin is at the root of this sickness that has brought us to this horrible place. In Matthew's account of this exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus gives the one reason, or, or gives one of the reasons that divorce might be necessary, and that's in the case of adultery. St. Paul gives another reason in the first letter to the Corinthians, and that's when one of the spouse deserts the other. So adultery and desertion are the two biblical grounds for allowing a divorce. And under those headings, you can list things like abuse and betrayal, deception, in all these cases, cases, the marriage has broken in a fundamental way because of sin. And without true repentance and forgiveness, an amputation might be necessary. But it's always a regrettable thing when it happens. But then there are also those times when divorce, when divorces happen, but it's not for, for one of these reasons. And what about then? Well, again, divorce is never God's design for marriage. But I want to make sure you remember the words from last week from, from the epistle of James. Because there's not one of us here who hasn't been uh, touched in some way by divorce. That, that some, of us, some of the divorces that have happened because of the reasons that God lists, some of them haven't happened that, that way. So some of them are simply the result of selfishness and sin. But remember what James said. He said, God gives all the more grace. Even when divorce has happened for reasons that are not acceptable, that is not something that puts us outside of God's grace. He always has more grace to give. And so in those situations in which we have divorced, but for the wrong reasons, we humble ourselves, we repent before God, and we receive His forgiveness and His grace. God hates divorce, but he loves to redeem the worst of situations. He always gives more grace. And no one, no one is ever turned away from the feet of Jesus when they come seeking his forgiveness and his mercy. And that's where we should all be as followers of him. Each one of us, whether we've been divorced or not, whether that has touched our lives or not, we should all be together at the feet of Jesus, acknowledging our sin, seeking his forgiveness, and resting in his mercy and in his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a difficult issue to deal with this morning. What a difficult and painful thing divorce is. Thank you for never 
divorcing us, but for remaining faithful to your love for your people. Lord, we all know marriages that are in trouble. Lord, we ask you to heal those marriages, restore them, redeem them. We also know people who have suffered because of spousal unfaithfulness. Lord, bless them with your Holy Spirit and heal their hearts. Surround them with Christian fellowship, for it's not good for us to be alone. And those who bear the scars of divorce, God, we, we ask that you would heal their hurts and restore their hope. Teach us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's stand and affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, 